That's a fun rug. Jeez, what the heck? I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> this guy. So there it is, friends. We, we, we look the same, apparently. Yeah. Uh, no, your jacket's different, though. It's it a is. different color, so we're not our, even close. Our wives to... have good taste. <laughs> they, that's, <laughs> they do. That's all I have to they say. Do. This is just what we wear on a normal basis, though. Yeah. That's pretty much all it is. Yeah, that's but, it. But hey, good morning. How we doing? Oh, there wow. we go. Hey, uh, my name is Jared. I get to be the campus pastor at the New Break Scripps Ranch Campus. We are so thankful to your Santa. Thanks for letting us come in the downpour onslaught of rain that is happening right now. It's not a stop, but <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's not, yeah. uh, we're glad that we get to be here worshiping together. We're one church in one location today, and we love it. Yeah. So uh, we're th- so thankful to be here. But how many of you guys here, you love comedians? You love comedians? Okay. Uh, we're not comedians, and so I'm not going to try to do a bit right now. But uh, one of my favorite comedians uh, right now, his name is Nate Bargatze. Have you ever heard of Nate Bargatze? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hilarious. He's funny. His delivery is awesome. Uh, and most importantly, he's clean. Okay, if you're looking for a clean comic, uh, follow Nate Bargatze. He's awesome. But uh, he has this um, one bit that he does where he talks about how if we were to go back in time, let's say, let's go back 100 years, uh, we would be terrible time travelers. Okay? And here's why. We have all the knowledge of all these new things, but if we went back in time and there's some dude on like some old phone where you have to put it to your ear and hold it up to him, we'd walk up and go, hey, you know what? At some point in time, they're going to have phones that you put in your pocket. <laughs> and he would go, how does that even work? And I would go, gosh, I don't even know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I don't even know how the phone works. I think, it's a, I think it's a satellite that goes into the air and they would go, what's a satellite? And it's like, oh boy, gosh, I don't even know what a satellite is. I think it just goes up into space somehow, right? Um, but they would want to know, like, they want me to prove that I'm from the future. And Marcus, I don't know if I could prove that I'm from the future. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. If they said, hey, prove it. Who's the next president? I'd be like, gosh, yeah. <laughs> failed it out. I think it's, yeah. I think Washington, right? Washington, <laughs> Washington is the, the next, next president. Yeah, the Washington. next one. But, uh, <laughs> but I love it. Like, he said, we just couldn't prove uh, that we were from the future. And it's so true. And as I was thinking about that concept, um, uh, that idea really applies to so many areas of life, but including um, our faith, right? Um, and I was thinking about this. So many people, we know, we know what Christianity is about, right? We, we know Jesus. We, we know a lot of what the Bible says. You may even have uh, Bible verses memorized. You have John three sixteen memorized. We have all of this knowledge. But if someone were to look at your life and your actions um, and took a deeper dive into your understanding of Scripture and said, hey, prove to me why you believe, I fear that some of us wouldn't be able to prove why we believe. Even looking at your actions, you wouldn't be able to prove it. Uh, that we can have all the knowledge in the world, but miss Jesus. In fact, uh, A.W. Tozer, a very famous author and pastor, he would say it this way. He would say, a man can die of starvation knowing all about bread, and a man can remain spiritually dead while knowing all of the facts about Christianity. Let that sit for a moment. Like You can know all, all the stuff about Jesus and miss Jesus in it. And so today, as we continue in this Gospel of John series, one, I love the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's all about Jesus, where, where John is trying to show us the identity and the mission of Jesus. And today we're looking at a very uh, famous passage of scripture uh, in, in John chapter three, where he talks to this man, Nicodemus, who has all the knowledge in the world, but he's missing something. And so I'm excited to dive into this passage that many of yeah. us know about, Pastor Marcus. Yeah, John chapter three, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us. Uh, it's in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be where we're going to be today, right before you get to Acts. Um, so that's where we're going to be. But what I love so far, what we've done in this series is we, we started in John chapter one, and John was sharing with us who Jesus is. And then we go to John chapter two, which we talked last week, the vessels, wine into water, how Jesus wants to work in our lives through transformation. Now we go to John 3. Essentially, John is asking us, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. 
If God is who he says he is in Jesus, and Jesus wants to offer transformation, Marcus is, now what? What are you going to do in John chapter 3? That's where we're at. We see this beautiful life that God offers us that with a great abundance and joy and life and renewal. And then we show up here in John chapter 3 where a man, maybe like you and me, is living in this life where he looks at the state of the world, maybe the state of his heart and maybe the state of his family, the state of his marriage and his finances. And he's, he's a bit confused at the state of the world. If God exists, God, why is all this stuff going wrong? Maybe he moved to the point of curiosity where he heard about Jesus a little bit, and maybe that's you and me, and we've heard a little bit, but I'm a bit curious about him now. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and, and your question is not about confusion or curiosity. Maybe you're asking, how do I really know that that day when I gave my life to Jesus, that, that I really gave my life to Jesus? Mm. And maybe if you're like me, I like, just tell me what to do, Jesus. What must I do to be saved? What if today God wants to offer us something that is more than maybe what we've experienced before, more than what we act as if we are believing the things that we read? What if God is saying, there is more today if you allow your hearts to be positioned in the hands of God? He says, I want to speak something to you. Mm -hmm. So I want to pause and I want to pray. Mm -hmm. And would you pray with me that God would open up our hearts and our minds so God would come before you, asking you, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, for those of us that are in the midst of confusion as the state of the world is, or we're in the midst of curiosity looking to Jesus, or Lord, we're just asking, how do I know that I'm saved? Or maybe some of us here for the first time are asking, what must I do? Lord, would you speak to us today? Transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting in verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, speaking of Jesus, at night. So now we have Nick at night. He said, (laughs) Rabbi. And I wonder if Nicodemus had been watching Jesus these past few weeks, months, and he had heard some of the things that he had done, but maybe he was following him what happened at nighttime, just to see where he goes. And maybe he's looking around a corner and finally sees Jesus, maybe this is going to be the day. But what do I call him? Some people call him a liar. Some people call him a lunatic. Some people call him a lord. But I know what I'll call him. A teacher. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. He's saying, I've heard about the water and the wine. I've heard about some of the other things that you did. But but God must be with you. Or maybe you're God himself. Verse 3, Jesus replies. I love how Jesus replies. I feel like this is how I pray. Sometimes I pray and I ask God for something or him to reveal something to me. And then he gives me an answer that wasn't an answer to what I asked. Look at Jesus' reply. (laughs) Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Maybe Nicodemus was like, wait, I don't think you heard um, what I said. I've seen the miracles. And so Nicodemus, like any of us, we would have asked the same question. How can anyone be born when he he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, that's an image you don't want, right? No, not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just go on to verse 5. All right, here we are. (laughs) Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of Spirit is Spirit. Then Jesus says, Do not be amazed that I have told you that you must be born again. Notice, you have Nicodemus, someone born of flesh like you and I. Standing in front of Jesus, who was spirit, who now was born in flesh so he could be here on earth with us. Telling the man who is flesh that he must become spirit and become a child of God. 
You have flesh talking with spirit at the same time. And the spirit telling us what needs to happen. Verse 8. The wind blows where it pleases. That word wind is pneuma. It's where we get our word spirit. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We should be like sailors on a ship and we have the mast raised high and the sails are there. We're just waiting for the wind to blow us. Lord, where are you going? We're going this way. Okay, I'm there. Jesus saying, Nicodemus, that's how you should be living your life. He goes on. Jesus says these things and Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I wonder how many of us look at the world or your life, your marriage, your relationships, your family, your work. Lord, I hear so many good things, what you can do and what you have done. Lord, I go to these life groups and I hear people talking about miracles and how could that be for them? But I look at my life and it seems like something's missing. How can these things be? Notice Jesus goes on. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Then he says this, verse 11, which circle, highlight, underline, because this is when Jesus would have had the first drop the mic moment we see in John. (laughs) Truly I tell you, we, isn't Jesus by himself? Mm. He's speaking Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Nine times, 9.9 times out of 10, when you see the word you in scripture, it's actually a y'all. Right? And so Jesus is saying, we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we've seen these things. We tell you about these things. But y'all, religious people, mm-hmm. Marcus included, mm-hmm. you're not getting it. You're not accepting the testimony of the Trinity. Verse 12, if I told you about earthly things and you don't believe me, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Notice, it is like question after question. It's <laughs> not even a conversation. They're not talking. They're, They're just asking questions. Asking questions. Yeah, yeah. But you have a rabbi. This is the rabbinic way of communication. They would just ask questions of their disciples. So you have the rabbi, Nicodemus, asking the teacher, Jesus, God himself, questions. And then God responds with questions. And he goes on. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, you asked me that God must be with me. I'm telling you, I am God in the flesh. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you're thinking of the picture, what is Jesus referencing here? He's referencing Numbers 21 when the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're getting bit by snakes. Um, it's, it's a longer story, but I'll just kind of summarize. They're getting bit by snakes, and they're dying, and they're getting sick and dying. And then God tells Moses, wrap a snake around a bronze pole, and bronze is the metal of judgment. So hold it up, and when they look at it, they will no longer be sick. Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted that up, I will be lifted up. Mm-hmm. And they're not just going to not be sick anymore. They're going to have eternal life. They're going to be saved. Right. And then it goes to the most famous passage in all of Scripture. I've heard it called the gospel in miniature. It's 25 Greek words that many of us have just read over or maybe memorized. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And the good news gets even gooder, as I like to say. It's a word sometimes. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Jesus is saying, this is how God works. This is how we work. We run to you. We show you our love for you. And if you say, I don't want your love, God, we say, your will be done. And, and we have minimized what this experience and separation of God is to simply like one word or a simple place. Look at Jesus beautifully explain and shed light on what this is. This is the judgment. If I refuse God, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Have you been there? God, I don't want what you have for me. Because you might expose some of the dark places in my heart. You might expose some of the things that I've become so accustomed to. My native language has, has become complaint and anger. And you might want to change that in me. So I'm going to stay far away from the light. Verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. So that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. Now Jesus is going to answer Nicodemus' question. So that his works may be shown to be accomplished, proved, and performed by God. Nicodemus said, How do you, we've seen you perform all of these uh, miracles and signs and things. God must be with you. 21 verses later, <laughs> Jesus says, you're thinking the right way. It's not just God is with me though, it's that I am God. And so you have Nicodemus who has all of the knowledge. He studied under some great rabbis and he has disciples himself and where people are following him and he's sharing the knowledge and the wisdom that he has. But for him and like you and me, he, he's substituting transformation for information. Mm. And so many of us, myself included, have gotten to the place, if I, just, if I just know more about him, then I'll be better. But, but we, we say yes to Jesus, we start following Jesus, and, and we do this thing where we try to get through the Bible. I remember when I first got saved, I said, I'm going to read the Bible in three months. And I did. And I was so proud, and I boasted in myself. I told everyone. And the pastor came up to me, and he said, I heard you read the Bible in three months. I said, yeah. And he said, did you read it for information or transformation? Mm. Did you mean it for information and <laughs> I knew that I was just trying to go through the Bible. I'm learning the older that I get that the Bible, I don't need to go through the Bible. The Bible needs to get through me. Yeah, right. It needs to change everything inside of me. Because I, like many of us, have had this false assumption that as I know more about God, it will somehow just magically produce this powerful spiritual transformation. And we've substituted transforming with informing or sadly conforming. Mm. And we ask the question, what can't I do? Is there rules in there? Tell me the rules I can't do. Mm. And we set up all of these boundary markers. And if you grew up in a church like I did, it was don't smoke, don't chew, or hang with those that do. And so you're just <laughs> in the inner circle. I can do nothing wrong. I'm in the inner circle. And then we hold up the Bible like a magnifying glass. Who's outside of the circle? Do you see how they're living? How bad they are? But I'm in the circle. And Jesus is saying, no, Nicodemus, it's actually a mirror. Because once you see the brokenness without God himself, you'll start to realize how much more needs to be transformed in you. So we have these boundary markers set up. And it's not just us. It's exactly how the Pharisees were. This is why when Nicodemus walks up, John tells us he is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were like at the center of Judaism. Uh, they were people who, who modeled Everything perfectly. They memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's where you and I have stopped reading. Right? Then it goes Numbers and Deuteronomy. Right? Uh, 
They memorized all first five books, which is not too impressive because all of us have done that, of course. No, it's extremely <laughs> impressive. But they also memorized something called the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition based on the first five books of the Torah. So it's like a commentary. But the issue was they would raise up the Mishnah like it carried the same weight as the Word of God. Be careful, church. Never carry what Pastor Marcus or Pastor Jared says has the same weight mm -hmm. as what God's Word is saying. Right. Because you can find a place where you're not going to preach God's word. We're going to share God's word. But remember, he's the ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. Not Marcus and Jared. And they would memorize these things and they would add to whatever they saw in the Torah. And then beyond that, what they would do is, is they were people who really believed in tithing, like you and I. They, they would tithe 10% of their income, but the Pharisees would not just tithe their income and the crops that came in. If they had, were eating dinner and had 10 peas on a plate, they would take one off and say, this is the Lord. Could you imagine going to Miguel's and getting your nachos and queso and you're like, I just need 10 chips and a, one scoop of queso just for the Lord. We'll set it over to the side. Is that good, Jesus? He needs hot sauce. You know, what would you do, right? That's what they would do. And then when it came to fasting, they're like, we're not going to fast just what the Bible says. We're going to fast twice a week and we're going to tell everyone about it. I'm so hungry. I'm just fasting in the Lord and letting him tell me and teach me. I'm just gaunt. But I just need food. But the Lord is my feast, right? You just do all of this. And we're in prayer and fasting right now. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let's not be those people. Yeah. You go to work and you're feeling okay. I'm just fasting right now because he is my source. <laughs> you can get there. But I mean, don't start with your day that way. Okay, anyways, uh, when it came to the Sabbath, what they would do is... As you couldn't tie a knot around a rope, according to the tradition. You couldn't tie a knot around or on a rope, on a bucket, to go down to a well to get some water. But they found a loophole and where the spouse, women, could actually grab their sash and tie it onto a bucket. So the Pharisees would walk with their spouse and say, hey, can I borrow your sash? And they would tie the knot. And they're like, we found the loophole. This will work. We'll, we'll do this. It's a Sabbath. I'm not supposed to work, but I'll do this. They had all these boundary markers. They essentially were saying, I'm just trying to be like Jesus instead of being transformed into the image of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we read, John says he, he was a ruler of the Jews. What he wants us to see is that he was part of the Sanhedrin. There were 70 men, Sadducees and Pharisees. The main difference, Pharisees believed in miracles and the eternal life and afterlife. Um, the Sadducees didn't believe in miracles of the eternal life. That's why they're sad, you see. I pa love it. I love it. Pastor jokes. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Welcome to New Break. Anyways, uh, that's, that's what would happen. But you, then there were 70 men and then the high priest was there as like the kind of like the ultimate judge. And you'd have the accused person there. Notice what Jesus said after John 3.16. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, you sit as the supreme court of all these people and you judge every single one of them and you condemn them. That's not how I work. You've been trying to be like me. But you've missed it. And so Nicodemus, with all of his status, all of his practice, all of his experience, walks up to Jesus in the midst of the confusion and the curiosity that he has. He said, there must be something different about you because I've read the Bible. Mm -hmm. I've looked for things just like this. But I got to know what you have. Yeah. Because if you have it, I want it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, uh, this man with all this knowledge, the time of day he comes to Jesus at. Yeah. What, what time of day did he come and see him? 
Night. night, right? Uh, John is very clear on this. He came at night. And what I love about John in his gospel, we've been talking about how he uses a lot of symbolism in his gospel. Um, uh, one of the themes of his gospel is light. Jesus is the light of the world. And so he comes and the idea of light is that light represents life. It represents belief. Uh, and so on the flip side of that, darkness would be the opposite of it. Darkness symbolizes this unbelief. It, it represents this, this spiritual blindness. Right. And so uh, if you're here in week one, we talked about in chapter one, darkness cannot comprehend or even understand the light, is mm. what John says. And so you look at this. Uh, John likes to have a literal meaning and a symbolic meaning. And so if you just want the literal meaning, if you just want to know, right, have knowledge about what the Bible says, the literal meaning is this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. So what does that mean? Well, he just wanted to get away from the crowds and get Jesus one-on-one. And so he came to him when all the crowds would be gone and in their houses at night sleeping. And so he comes at night. There you go. If you just want knowledge, there it is. And John goes, but if you want more, mm-hmm. right, there's a symbolic meaning to this. There's a reason he came at night. Because night, darkness, represents this unbelief. And so think about Nicodemus. This man who literally knows everything. People look up to him. He memorized the first five books of the Bible. Right? He, he knows all of this. He made up other rules. This dude is righteous. Mm. And he comes to Jesus mm. at night in darkness, which represents what? Unbelief. Yeah. This man knows everything. But he doesn't know the most important thing. He doesn't get it, right? He, he's blinded by all of this. And so when you look at Nicodemus, uh, I really believe that John is showing us that Nicodemus um, really represents the brokenness of religion. Yeah. Religion can be this man-made thing of we have to get to God and so we're going to do everything we can to get to him. And so we make these religions, these broken systems where it's about us. It's not about anyone else. It's about us. And he represents the brokenness of religion. He represents the brokenness of humanity. Church, he represents us. People who are in darkness, who are trying to find a way. And so we think in our own knowledge that we can get there. And so when it comes to Nicodemus, right, he shows us that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many followers you have on Instagram, TikTok. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how big your church is. Right. If you think it's about your knowledge and what you can give and what you can gain on your own ability, you've missed it. Right? We've missed it. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying in all this. Um, we're not saying that you shouldn't read the Bible. Right. Because if you read the Bible, you're just trying to get knowledge. That's not what we're saying. Because I do believe in the words of this will transform your life forever, right? So we're not saying don't read the Bible. We're not saying don't ask tough questions about God because that means you're just trying to gain more knowledge of God. That's not what we're saying. Uh, We're not even saying, hey, don't go do nice things for people. Those are all great. Ultimately, what we're saying is knowledge in and of itself will not transform your life ever. Right. Right. And so Nicodemus is is wrestling with all of this because in his world, it's the rules. I got to follow the rules. And so Jesus has to approach him, and he looks at him, and he reminds him of this. In order to, for the transformation to begin, Jesus says, you must be born again. Yeah. And Nicodemus is still going, you, I have to go back into my mom's womb. How, what, what in the world is going on? And, and so Jesus says, no, no, no. You have to be born again, because if you're not born again, you will not be able to see the kingdom of God. And he's, right. he's being symbolic here, too. He's saying, you might be able to see the miracles I do, mm. but unless you're born again, you won't get it. Yeah. You won't understand the significance of the miracles because it points to who I am, is what Jesus is saying. Uh, And so he's going through this, and you have to understand uh, Nicodemus and Jesus, they're both Jews, right? And so they understand when they say, you're born, they put a lot of value into the the culture they were born into. They're Jews. Uh, They're descendants of Abraham. You guys remember that song, Father Abraham and many sons, right? (laughs) If you grew up in church. Google it, right? Uh, But you, you, you know this song, if you're a descendant of Abraham, you're this Jew, you are... God's chosen people, 
And they have this pride to themselves. <laughs> We're God's chosen people, and we get the blessing from God, and y'all aren't Jews. You're Gentiles, and so you don't get the blessing. And so they would stand almost uh, uh, chest puffed it up and go, man, we got this. We, we know what it is. We have all the answers. And Jesus says, great. Nicodemus, you do have all the answers. But I got to tell you something right now. Your birth family doesn't matter right now. The thing that matters is you have to be born again. Uh, that word again actually means to be born from above. Jesus, this, this son of man, comes down from above to heaven. He says, you got to be a part of my family, right. is what he's saying. So he flips the script on him. you got to be born again. And Nicodemus still goes, well, what does that mean? And so Jesus tries to reiterate what he's saying. And so he says this, you got to be born of water and spirit. Now, Pastor Marcus, when I first read this years ago, I was like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, and so water and spirit are really the same idea, same word. Jesus is just trying to clarify it for Nicodemus, what that means. And so uh, water is the symbolism of being cleansed. And that's the idea of it. If you're taking notes, water equals being cleansed. Uh, that's why uh, in few, uh, next week we have baptism Sunday. Uh, when you go under the water, it represents you dying to your old sin and you come back out, you're cleansed and you're forgiven of all that stuff. That's the symbolism of what uh, baptism is all about. In this section right here, when it comes to what the water is, like when you're born again in Jesus, Jesus comes into our life, he takes possession of our life. And I'll tell you, what, I'm so thankful for this. Uh, he comes in and he forgives and he forgets our sin. Right. How many of you are thankful that Jesus forgives and forgets Come our sin? Now. Yeah, lift all limbs on that one. Of yeah. course we are. <laughs> Absolutely. And so we love this. But, but Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, it's not just about the water. It's not just about the cleansing. Sometimes we can just look at God and say, God, I'm thankful that you just forgive our sins. And we leave him as a God that only forgives. And, and while that's great, and that's a massive piece of it. If we just limit God to being a God that only forgives, then your life doesn't change because you just keep going in the cycle of endless sin because God's going to forgive me, right? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's simple. And you keep going through it and going through it and going through it. And I'll tell you what, church, um, I remember going through a season of life when I was in high school and college where uh, I treated Jesus as like fire insurance, right? You know how it works? Uh, fire insurance where, man, if everything goes to cra like crazy, oh, well, fire insurance is going to help us. And in our faith, the fire insurance, oftentimes what I believed was, well, I don't want to go to hell. And so right. um, Monday through Saturday, I'll, I'll do my own stuff. But Sunday, I got to come into church. I got to wear all the right stuff. I got to look like Pastor Marcus. And then I got to come in <laughs> and, and, and I got to ask for forgiveness because I don't want to go to hell, right? right. Yeah. And so I'm fire insurance. That's how we treated God. That's how I treated him. And so I remember just going through my life, high school, college, um, doing everything that my flesh loved to do. And as a high schooler trying to figure out life, you, you just do things. <laughs> um, and while sin was fun, here's what I started to realize. Sin is lonely. Yeah. You could be partaking in sin with other people and you're still feeling lonely. Right. Because that's what sin does. It depletes everything from you. It takes all of it away from us. And, and so I was in a season of sin in church. I don't know if you've ever been in a season of sin, but it's the worst. I, I started to hate myself. You, you start to have these, these seasons of lust and seasons of, of hate and seasons of anger and seasons of greed. And as much as I wanted to get out of it, I was like, I, don't, I just don't know how to get out of it. Right. But I would come to church and ask for forgiveness and do my thing again. 
And so like when it comes to forgiveness, we need forgiveness. That, that is a massive, that's why Jesus came and died on the cross. But if we just limit being born again to just receiving forgiveness, then you're only getting half of the picture, right. which is why Jesus says you need water, but you also need the spirit. Now, once again, both one and the same, but what is the spirit that, that Jesus is talking about? The spirit represents the symbol and the source of power. Everyone say power. Power. Once again, say it again. Power. 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 Power to do what? Power to be more like Jesus. Power to do things you never thought you could do. Power of when, before you knew Jesus, I didn't want to serve people. I wanted to be greedy. I wanted everything for myself. And when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he goes, I know you used to be that way, but I'm going to show you, you're going to love to serve. I'm going to show you this. I know you hated giving money away. I know you hated giving your time away. I'm going to give you the power. You're going to love giving your time away. And I'm going to be a blessing to you when you do it. When you're in temptation, before you know Jesus, it's like, man, I can't get out of this. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He gives us power. When you don't think you can overcome the temptation, because let's be honest, we can't. The power of the Holy Spirit does that. And so this is what Jesus is saying in all of it. You need water and you need spirit because the spirit is where the transformation actually happens. And he's saying all this to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is going, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And this, like, think about it. This man who has all of this knowledge doesn't get it. Yeah. Sometimes we can be like that. Right? Yeah. I wonder if, if Jesus looked at Nicodemus like sometimes we would look at children. You just have so much more to learn. I was with my nephew uh, last week, and he looked at me. He said, you know what I'm realizing? He's, he's almost nine years old. He said, you know what I'm realizing? I said, what? He said, you're old. I said, oh. Thank you. I said, yeah, I have a little gray hairs on, on my beard and stuff. And he goes, I wish I had a beard on my goatee. Uh, and I said, yeah, I have a little gray hairs. And he goes, no, you have them on the top of your head too. And there's a lot of them. You're really old. Wow. Awesome. Thank you. And I, and I said, Joshua, you have so much to learn. I said, you're going to realize one day that's not the best way to talk to people. <laughs> but I wonder if Jesus was thinking of Nicodemus. You have all of this knowledge. But you have so much more to learn. Because aren't you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? That this is renewal and cleansing? And that I told you that you wouldn't be able to see the kingdom of God without being born again? Visibility. But you can't enter it as well without being born again? That's accessibility. So visibility and accessibility. You don't get it. You don't get the cleansing and the renewal and the power that's available to you. And you know everything. You're not getting it. And Nicodemus would have had access to what some of the prophets would have written. So it's not just memorizing the Torah. It's also having a great affinity and great knowledge of some of the other works that had been written by the prophets at the time. Jesus is talking about this cleansing. It immediately should, should make us, uh, to, who look at the Bible and read the Bible and believe the Bible, it should get us to think about the prophet Ezekiel. And it definitely should have made Nicodemus think of the prophet mm-hmm. Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. When the Lord is saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a heart of flesh and a heart of spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. All of this should be happening when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about water and spirit. He should be thinking of this. And I look at this passage and thinking, what are the areas in my heart that are not clean? God, would you cleanse me? God, what are the areas of my heart where I've made a good thing a God thing? That's what idolatry is. Where I've started to worship something that will always let me down, always overpromise and underdeliver. Where I need God to step in and say, I'm going to transform the way you look at the world. But God, my heart, there's this anger. He says, I'm giving you a new one. And God, I don't know what to do. The way I walk, it's not the right way. And I'm, I keep running into walls. And he says, I'm going to renew that spirit. There's going to be a new spirit in you. But God, I have hatred towards people. He says, no, I'm going to transform that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. 
And you look at this, and if you're like me, you like the rules. Give me what to do. God, just tell me. If you would just tell me, hey, Marcus, that's not the door to walk through, walk through this one. Perfect. I'd be a perfect Christian. But what he does is say, Marcus, I'm just going to offer the very thing that you desire. Beneath everything that you're asking, Nicodemus, you're asking, is there more to this life? And what must I do? And I look at that and I say, what must I do? I will. God will. God will cleanse. God will sprinkle. God will give. God will remove. Okay, what's my part? If he's going to renew my mind, transform my heart, and direct my soul, there has to be something that I have to do. So it better be found in in 796,000 words of scripture. It it better be found somewhere in here that 45 things I have to do every single day to be a good follower, a good Christian, a good believer, just to be a good person in the world. There's got to be at least 45, 50, 75 things in here. There's 94. Yeah, Okay, 94. Okay, perfect. You missed most of them. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. Uh, If you're taking notes, Jesus says, here's the main thing. It's a long list. The long list of one. He says, all you got to do to receive this transformation, all you got to do is receive the gift of God's love. That's as simple as it is. And we hear that and we go, no, 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 no. But there's a lot more words. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, no. You just got to receive the gift of God's love. We we think we we love rules. I'm a rule follower. Okay. I love rules. But but here's the deal. Rules are just the information, right? They will not bring the transformation. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. You cannot transform you. Come on. I cannot transform myself. We cannot transform ourselves. That's not how it works. You might be able to change your behaviors, but can I tell you this? Jesus is not in the business of behavior modification, right? right? That's not what he came to do. Yes, our behaviors will change through transformation, but he didn't come so that you're just, your actions look different. A lot of people go to church. A lot of people say the right things, but man, they don't know Jesus, right? We're looking right. at Nicodemus. He's in the business of life transformation. Mm. And so after all of this entire conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus, which by the way, Jesus isn't condemning Nicodemus. He's not saying you're a terrible person. He's just trying to point out the things he can't even see, the blind spots. But it gets to this point where John, after this entire conversation is, is over, he sums up what John and, or Jesus and Nicodemus just talked about. And he says it in this one verse. Yeah. And it's the one verse that so many people know. It's a verse that you know today, you memorize it. Your friends probably memorize it too. And John would just tell us this. For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave. Gave what? He gave himself. He came to this, this world as a human. He took flesh on to experience what we experience. And he says, whoever believes in him, including Nicodemus, if he chooses to, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. Now, sometimes we, we trip up on this passage because we work at the, look at the word love and we go, well, love in our culture is uh, if circumstances are good, then I'm going to love you. Mm. If you're nice to me, then I'll love you. If you love me, then I'll love you. So we have a very circumstantial view of love. And what John is saying is, no, God, God agape us. He yeah. unconditionally loved us in your sin, in your seasons of sin, in your guilt, in your shame, in your hurt, in your pain. If you're here today and you're like, I walked in, I have no clue what's going on in life. And you're just a disaster. He says, man, I love you so much. I love you so much that I would send my son for you. And if you just believe, if you just believe, receive the gift, you'll have eternal life. Now, here's the deal with, with the word believe. Uh, we work at that, look at that word believe, and we uh, wrestle with it because in our culture, the synonym of belief is, is knowledge, right? We, we would almost use the synonym as belief as uh, it's an opinion, right? Mm. There's a lot of things we say we believe in. For example, I believe that sugar's bad for you. 
guess what? I still eat chocolate chip cookies because it's good, right? right? <laughs> They're good. It doesn't change my actions. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, the Padres are going to have a better... I don't know. You I don't believe that. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe it, but I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Pray for us. Um, <laughs> right, we believe it. Or we'll even say, like, I believe that dogs are better than cats, which, by the way, is true. Right? 100%. It's true. Yeah, it's true. That's biblical. It, 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 Cat, cats aren't in the Bible. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. True, true. Right, but but we, we say all these things, but really what we're saying is this. In my opinion, I Googled it. Mm. I believe, meaning I know, that sugar's bad for you, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Right. And so we, we, we replace belief with just knowledge. Everyone who knows Jesus died will have eternal life. That's not what it said. Mm. Believes. And that word belief goes so much deeper than this. Uh, the right. word belief that John actually uses, uh, in order to believe, he'd actually say this. It means to change your allegiance. Allegiance is this loyalty. It's this obedience to something new. That when you're born, Jesus said earlier that if you're born of flesh, you're flesh. Your allegiance when you're born is to yourself. So every morning you wake up and you got to satisfy and be obedient to your cravings. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I see something. I want it. And so you're, you're allegiant to your, to your, your body, your mm. flesh. Mm. When you're born again, to believe means you change your allegiance. You were walking this way and Jesus says, man, I love you so much. We go. Yeah. And you change your allegiance right. and your loyalty and your obedience now to go, goes to, well, I'm not going to try to satisfy my cravings. I have to satisfy the cravings of the king because that's Come the on. only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. And this is when the transformation starts to happen because here's the deal, church. Transformation is not about just knowing Jesus loves us. Um, Jesus's brother, James, would actually say this. He says, even the demons believe Jesus died on the cross. Come on. Even the demons do. So you're telling me they're Christians because they believe? No. Right? So it can't just be a knowledge. Transformation is not about just knowing Jesus loves you. It's about allowing his love for us to actually change us. And he transforms everything about us. And so we can't just settle for like, I, I know John 3.16. For everyone who loves him, right? Whoever has knowledge of him. Man, I'm safe. Man, it's so much more than that. But it's not a list of rules that we have to do. He proved it to us, and we just got to receive the gift that he gives to all of us. Right. It's amazing how God does it. Um, I I grew up in church, and um, we would go, seem like every single day of the week, every night of the week, there was always something going on. Men's ministry, women's ministry, kids' ministry, student ministry, every single day of the week. On Sunday, we had multiple services and a Sunday night service that was nothing like the Sunday morning service, so we had to go to that too. No nap in between. And I remember going to church and seeing everyone lift their hands and pray and praise and I just didn't believe it because I had this other life. I'd go into church and put the mask on, but outside of church, I was dealing with crippling addiction um, to, to drugs, to pills, needles. It, it didn't matter. It was anything that would help me get away from what I felt, what I was feeling. I, I don't want these feelings anymore. I can't bring them to God because I don't think he exists. So what I'll do is I'll just mask them and hide them. And I'll create this new version of Marcus where, where he's just the fun guy. He's the silly guy. He says the jokes and, and sometimes he just walks around like he's sleepy because I just didn't want to think about life anymore. And I would live this life and, and I remember being invited to this concert. I've told many of you about it before, and it was a sham. It was in 2004. It was a concert at the Rose Bowl. It wasn't a concert. It was a Billy Graham crusade. This is not a concert. What kind of concert is this? They're singing songs no one knows. (laughs) 
And then Billy Graham walks with his walker. And some of the first words he says out of his mouth. And I just watched the message uh, again this week. Because I like to watch it from time to time. Because it really transformed my life. And he starts out and he says, If you don't hear anything else today, know this. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're in right now, no matter what you will do, God loves you. And it was the first time I heard someone say, God loves you. And I remember sitting in churches. And it just started me on this journey of curiosity. Because I was like, well, maybe if God is real, what if he can love someone? But he's not going to be able to love someone like me. So I'm going to prove that wrong. I'm going to prove he loves people. Maybe like Nicodemus, God so loved the world. When Jesus says that, Nicodemus is saying, yeah, he loves, the, he loves the Hebrew people. He loves the, the, people, the Jewish people. Without saying, no, I, I love the people that are in Africa just as much as I do in America. The people in Palestine as much as I do the people in Mexico. The people in Israel as much as I do the people in Canada. I love the world. So I heard that and I remember still living my life, wanting to do it all on my own. And I'm driving to another couch to sleep on as I was couch surfing during this time because I caused so much pain to my family that's sitting in the front row. So much pain. There'd be times I'd be couch surfing because I just couldn't be at the house. And I remember passing out as I'm driving home as I have more drugs and things in my veins than I could ever imagine. Just trying to get to this level of nirvana as if I would finally get to this place where nothing else mattered. I don't know if I was trying to take my life. I don't know what I was thinking, but I knew I didn't want to be on earth. And we're passing out as I'm driving. I call my mom and I said, can I come home? It wasn't home, but man, if I could get home. I pass out a few more times on the freeway. I'm still alive. The car is still intact. Somehow I wake up in front of the house and my mom comes to the door, knocks on my 88 Hyundai XL with tinted windows and spinning hubcaps on it. I thought I was cool. She knocks and I look at her. She wakes me up and she's got tears running down her face. And that was the day I said, that's the last time I hurt someone like that. I stumbled into the room, barely able to make it. I lay on this bed and I was like, hopefully I can stay here for the night. We'll see what happens. And I said, God, if you're real and you do love me, take this from me. My anger, my hatred, the addiction, the love of money, everything, the lust. God, if you're real, take all of this from me. And then I said, and tomorrow I turned myself into the police. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> I wish I could say heaven opened up and everything was just perfect and beautiful. But what I felt was a freedom that I can't even put into words. I knew that was the day that any type of my experimentation with drugs and alcohol, it was, it was done at that moment. Not messing with, not messing with something that's tr that I'm trying to run from anymore. God, you and you alone. So I give my life to Jesus. I experience this freedom. I said, God, I just want to live for you forever. I go to the police station and I'm still here today and God did miraculous things. I don't have time to go into the full story, but God was there. Mm -hmm. I remember telling him, God, I'm just going to live for you because other people have to know. Because it was at that moment that I felt God prove his love. As Paul would say in Romans, he proved his love for me in this. While I, I was still a sinner, I was at war with God. I didn't want anything to do with him. He said, Marcus, I'm sending my son Jesus to die a brutal death on a cross that you should have died, to live a perfect life that you can't live, to pay a price that you can't afford to pay. He's going to go to the cross and breathe his last and pronounce it is finished. Just as you heard the judge smash the hammer as you were standing there wondering
wondering if this was going to be your last day to breathe outside of prison. And, and the judge slammed the hammer and said, not guilty. The same way that the judge did that for you, Marcus, is the same way that my son did that. So at that moment, he proved his love for me. And I'll never live for anyone else. My allegiance is only to God. There's not a person on earth or somewhere else other than heaven that could tell me anything different. I'll only live for him because he proved his love for me. On that night, it wasn't out of service. It wasn't from a pastor. It was one thing Billy Graham said in 2004 and then finally hitting the end of my rope because I hit rock bottom and I kept digging and found even lower. And God said, I still love you. And I know I've, I've experienced God prove his love for me. Yeah. Pastor Jared, I know you have as well. Yeah. Uh, different story. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I remember as a, it was in high school. I remember going through all my stuff, seasons of sin. I remember going to a, a summer camp with our church, uh, this church. Uh, which, by the way, pray for your student pastors and your student leaders and pray for your students. Um, gosh, they need Jesus, man. We, yeah. we all do. I need it. And I remember just being a high schooler going through my stuff. I went to a summer camp. It was at Forest Home. And it was the very last night. And the pastor was up there. And he said, if you're here today and you just want to surrender your life, you want to lift your hands and say, I give up, Jesus. It's not about me. Give me, give me you. So if you just want to lift your hands, just do it in this moment. And, and I'm the type of person, like, in worship, I, growing up, I didn't want to lift my hands because I'm like, those are weirdos. Like, don't, that's, <laughs> who, who lifts their hands? They don't want to do it. Um, and, but I remember wa- so deeply wanting to surrender so deeply. And it felt like there was something holding my hands back. I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what it was. Uh, and so in that moment, I remember just going, Jesus, I surrender it all. I'm sorry. And I lifted my hands and it, and it felt like something broke, right? The rope snapped or chain snapped. And I remember lifting my hands Come in the on. air. And so in this moment, it was, it was the most freeing thing I've ever done. Yeah. To say, God, it's not about me. It's not me. And I'm sorry. And it was in that moment that God proved himself. And he just said in a, in a small, still voice, I love you, Jared. He proved it. He still continues to do it. But man, lifting the hands was like the moment of surrender. It's not about me. It's not about me. And when he proves that love, one of the practices that Pastor Jared and I both do is with John 3.16 is we place our name. Um, For God so loved Marcus yeah. in this way. That he gave his one and only son. Now Marcus believes he's not going to perish but have eternal life. For God so loved Scott and Bethany. For God so loved Quinn. For God so loved Scott. For God so loved Nelson. For God so loved Jared. For God so loved Scripps. For God so loved Santa. For God so loved Ocean Beach. For God so loved you. That he gave his son. And maybe you've, you've came in here today with... The, just the curiosity and just the questions about Jesus. You know, like, if he really loves me, then I surrender. Like Jared said, I, I, as he was telling you that story, I started to think about when I was frustrated dealing with my anger. Before I would hit things, what I do, I lift my hands and say, I'm done, I can't take it anymore. I wonder how many of us need to do that with our, our lives. I'm done, I can't take it anymore. I'm done, God. Maybe even walking Jesus with Jesus for a very long time but your relationship is a bit distance. And it's time for you to show up the hands and say, God, I'm done, I surrender. Maybe you, this is your first time hearing about Jesus and hearing the good news, the gospel that he did not come to condemn, but to bring in and to save. God, I'm done. If that's you, 
we want to make a moment right now to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say, I surrender. If you would just close your eyes for a moment, uh, because this is about you and Jesus. You know, and, and it's, it's an opportunity to say, God, I just surrender. And no matter where you're at, if this is the first time that you can make this decision or maybe your decision has already been made but you've had some distance in your relationship and you're saying, God, I surrender. The places in me that I'm not letting go of, the places in me that that no one else knows, the dark sin, the secret sin, the lonely sin, God, I'm just saying, I surrender. I want your love and nothing else. I'm done trying for substitutes. I just need you. If that's you in the room, would you just lift your hand? It's just a sign saying, God, I'm done fighting. I see your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. It's many of us. I see your hands. I see your hands. God, I surrender. I see your hands. And this is just saying, God, it's, it's up to you. So Lord, even now, so many of us, we've just said, I surrender. In the same way that you proved your love, which means to stand with us. Lord, we stand. Would you all stand with, with us? Let's stand together. And I want to pray out loud. And if you just repeat after me, it's one family because God is doing something in our hearts. And even right now, maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you're saying, I want to pray that prayer. Uh, Pastor Brooks will come up in a moment. He'll give us some more next steps. We want to walk with you. This is not simply so that you can make a decision and go out and live the same way. No, God wants to transform your life. And today starts the moment. So let's pray together. Just repeat after me. Just say, God. God. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. That you could love someone like me. That you could love someone like me. Someone who is so broken. Someone who is so broken. Someone who is so in need. Someone who is so in need. But Lord, you stand before me. But you, you stand before me. And you stand with me. You stand with me. And you speak love. You speak love. So teach me to receive it. So teach me to receive it. And change me forever. Change me forever. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand because he wants to redeem and transform us.